David Adams here, the voice of the ring, and the following is a presentation of the Mancast Network podcast for the man in all of us. Hey guys, it's the Princess of Pro Wrestling, SoCal Hall from Fight TV, and you're watching Opinion City on the Mancast Network, and I am a proud Opinion City girl. gentlemen welcome to a brand new episode of opinion city i'm your host ralph i'm here again with my uh, co-host and tag team partner as always sean what is going on what's going on man a bit of a last minute change up this week but that's okay um things are out of our control and uh we will definitely have miss kimberly down the line at some point but we decided instead to make the focal point Money in the Bank, because that is tomorrow in London, Money in the Bank. And we decided to do a list of our top five favorite Money in the Bank cash-ins as our main event topic. Yeah, so uh, a lot going on. Um, It's been uh, a really interesting week in wrestling. Um, Of course, as Sean mentioned, for those of you that are here for the... uh, the Kimberly interview, uh, we will have that um, rescheduled, and we'll let you guys know uh, when we're able to have her on the program again, uh, as Sean said, out of our control. But, uh, you know, uh, we, we wish her all the best at this time, and we'll get that, we'll get that interview rescheduled and uh, be sure to get her on the show soon. But it has been a, uh, it's, it's been a pretty big week in wrestling. Um, obviously, uh, for, for those that don't know, today, the uh, late-breaking news that... Uh, Draws has passed away, uh, Darren Drozdov, uh, of WWE fame. 54 years old, man. Yeah. Crazy. So, um, you know, it's, it's never, uh, it's never good when we lose anybody in the wrestling community. Um, you know, but this was, uh, this is, this was a particularly tough one. I feel like a lot of people, um, you know, really sort of, uh, followed his story just as how everything went down, you know, people really kind of uh, were, were were drawn to his story. Um, so I know, uh, you know, ups and downs over the years. Um, but uh, yeah, so another uh, another member of the wrestling community gone. So our, our thoughts and prayers go out to the family and friends of uh, Darren Drozdov. Uh, but also... Uh, just a lot of a lot of stuff going on this week. Um, you know, we kind of started the week off with uh, Forbidden Door, which was, which, uh, dude, that could be a whole episode in itself. I thought that whole show was phenomenal. I was going into it not expecting much, and I came out with just all smiles. Just I was in the end just happy and like with glee. Like it was, oh my god. Yeah, I think I, um, I you know putting putting the putting the wrestling matches aside cuz for one i mean 
just uh, some some incredible talent. Um, you know, matches that we will probably never see uh, matches of that quality again. Although I am interested to, to I am interested to see when they finally uh, pull the trigger on uh, Osprey Omega Three. Because yeah. I mean, it, it's it's just screaming for it now. Um, so I, I can't wait to see when they pull the trigger on that one. Um, Danielson Okada was amazing. Was um, so good. It's crazy yeah, that just, he fractured his forearm and wrestled another ten minutes after the injury. And if you haven't, if you haven't seen the picture of the forearm, um, oh, it's worse. Uh, number one, I would say go online and look for it. And number two, I would say. Don't go online and look for it because <laughs> yes, it is yeah. bad. It is. It, yeah, I saw that picture and I was like horrified. I'm like, that's uh, that's unbelievable. But it's way um, worse than just yeah, yeah. Just overall a great show. Um, and for me, I think uh, again, putting all the great matches aside, I feel like the production quality of Forbidden Door. Uh, it it just had such a special feel to it. Uh, just the 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 whole the whole thing from top to bottom. The uh, the the entrances, the setup. Um, you know, having the uh, having the New Japan ring announcer there. Just the whole presentation of it was uh, pretty incredible. Um, and, and you can't discount how amazing it is to have someone like Kevin Kelly making the call. Yeah, uh, it was just crazy. Yeah, the whole the whole thing. I mean, just a huge success. Um, easily, easily my favorite pay per view of the year so far um, because it was just enjoyable from a wrestling standpoint. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't big like WrestleMania. It wasn't like this this big spectacle, but it had a but feel it to important. it. Yes, you're right. It, it did feel important because um, they so. It, when you look at something like WrestleMania, you put importance on the event because it's WrestleMania. So it's important every year. It's usually the ending and the beginning of, of the, the, the whole year, the you know storylines, things like that. Um, you know, you've got the road to WrestleMania. This is the end. And so we put importance on that, you know, simply because of the event. Like there could be a subpar card and we would still put importance on it because it is WrestleMania. Yeah. But this mat, this show was important because we put importance on the wrestlers. When we look at, um, you know, especially like Danielson Okada, how many times could they say whoever wins this match can easily be considered the best wrestler in the world? Yeah. And they meant it. And they said it every time. And they, they let you know that, hey, this is why this match is on last because it's the two best performers of our time on both different sides of the of, of the spectrum going at it for the first time, I think ever. Yeah. And just like, just like anything else, um, anybody else, I'm sure that, that watched that, um, would, would feel bad for those two to have to follow Osprey and Omega. But it, you know, Danielson Okada was the match that pretty much sold the card. I mean, you had that, you had that announced as the first match and people looked at that and said, that's it. I've got to see this show. And, and that's based on one match alone. And yeah. then you get Omega Osprey named after that. Like, come on. You know, it's it's just one thing after another, just building upon building upon building and just putting together uh, an incredible show from start to finish. Um, so we had that this week. Um, 
I'm just, just curious you know. how much Tony Khan showed out for the final countdown for Daniel Bryan. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the the conversation that I heard from him on Busted Open this week was that uh, he was not willing to put out a number. However, he did say it would probably equal one wrestler's entire contract. So that gives I'm you an surprised. idea. I'm not surprised yeah. at all. <laughs> Worth it, yeah. but I'm not surprised. <laughs> well, and and from what I understand, they wanted to get that for Daniel Bryan when he first debuted in AEW, but uh, there were issues with uh, the band Europe at the time that did not want to license their music. And so yeah. it took quite some time for them to uh, really... Uh, you know, put out there that they want to now start licensing some of their music. And so I think it was a no brainer at that point. But uh, as far as I understand a, a one-time thing, but I'm okay with that because it was a special moment and it deserved something special like that. Absolutely. Um, and I, I mean, for me, again, when I talk about that show, I talk about, you know, the production value and the feel of the show. And when Daniel Bryan came out and he is standing on the top rope and the crowd is just singing the final it countdown, so it was so awesome. And you could see the smile on Bryan's face. Like, you know, here's a guy who's supposed to be, uh, here's a guy who's supposed to be, you know, uh, a, a heel, a member of the Blackpool Combat Club. Like, you know, he's not supposed to be the guy that like, everybody's cheering but this event kind of existed in its own universe somewhere because i mean if you if you were not you know losing your mind over watching daniel bryan come out to final countdown and just watching the crowd be involved and the smile on his face if you are not freaking out over that i don't understand how you're a wrestling fan because freaking out isn't even the word for it i was like just giddy because i saw somewhere i think it was on TikTok, uh, someone posted a, a side-by-side of him coming out in 2009 in Ring of Honor to that song at, at the same point as the fans sang his song at Forbidden Door. It was like the almost the, the same amount of loudness at, then as it was now. It was just cool. Fans don't forget cool. certain things. That was like years ago. Fans don't forget things, and that's just cool. No, certainly not. Um, and, you know, you have the AEW fan base is a completely different fan base than any other wrestling company. But again, you had mentioned fans don't forget these things. I don't think AEW fans forget these things because the kind of people that are <laughs> giant AEW fans are are fans of, of wrestlers like, uh, you know, Brian Danielson. They're fans of things like Ring of Honor. Um, yeah. They... They're the kind of people that, you know, were marking out during Collision when uh, Samoa Joe and CM Punk got in the ring together for the first time in, like, 15 years. Yeah, because they had their three-match trilogy back in Ring Mm -hmm. of Honor, and it was just some of the best stuff that they'd done, you know, up to that point. It was just great matches, each one. It was just a perfect, like, trilogy, and to have them sort of tease that, mm, I yeah, I want to see it. I, I definitely think there's room down the line for that to happen. Um, but yeah, it's just you know, AEW fans don't forget those kind of things because they're fans of that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I feel like the Forbidden Door was a lot of special moments for them like that. Um, you know, a, a great 
a great fan base up in up in Canada to be in front of. Um, the crowd was hot all night. Um, so just yeah. just a great show. Um, you know, and things have just been ramping up towards Money in the Bank. Yes. Um, you know, the the Bloodline storyline is just continuing to basically steamroll everything else in wrestling. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, there's no. There's there's no question whatsoever that it is the best thing going in wrestling. Um, it is the most exciting thing going in wrestling. I and so we uh, before we started recording, but you had mentioned that you had seen online and and I had seen the same thing that they're talking about uh, Dominic Mysterio and Cody Rhodes being the main event for for uh, Money in the Bank, and honestly. I do not see like okay, so you've got Cody Rhodes and you've got Dom, which is one thing. Then you've got uh, Seth Rollins defending his title, which is a whole yep. other thing. But mm-hmm. I don't see how you pick any of those, even the Money in the Bag matches. I don't see how you pick any of those over you know the Bloodline Civil War match. I don't know how yes, that doesn't that go be, on last, no matter yeah, that what. Should be the last one, especially because the last like three pay per views they've had, they've put the. Bloodline on last because there was always a big twist at every end of the show. Yeah. It was like the big tie-in for the you know for the storyline. So having him not be on last this time around almost makes it seem like the story is not as important as Cody versus Dom, which doesn't make any sense at all. No, I don't. I don't get it at all. Um, I'm sorry if if the Bloodline is on a show, that's the main focal point. I don't care what else is going on. Doesn't matter who else is wrestling, that is the focal point. Until we until we resolve these issues, that's the focal point. So for me, I think that's I think that's gotta go on last. I don't know I don't know how anything follows that. I'm sorry. I, I feel bad oh, for yeah. anybody that has to. But yeah, I don't see how anybody follows that. Um Before but yeah, we so to the money in the bank matches, I did want to get your thoughts on the show. How did you okay. feel about Moxley name dropping Chikara on AEW on Wednesday? Oh, listen. So, um, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of things I, I think about that. Um, I think it's, I think it's brilliant storytelling to a point. See, I think that at some point, I think that AEW is going to have to run back what that exactly meant. I think, and honestly, I mean, I think Eddie Kingston is the perfect person to do it. And I think Eddie's got to go out there and he's got to cut a promo where he says, listen, you know, you said last week, you know, who cares about that Chikara BS? Well, listen, most people don't know the story. Most people don't know why I hate Claudio so much. And I think he needs to tell them why he hates Claudio so much. I think he needs to run the story back. Cause honestly, I don't think enough people know the, the real story. I don't think enough people know what went down in Chikara. Now, those of us who have been fans of Chikara for a long time, obviously know what's going on, but I found it interesting. Um, so, I was listening to them talk about this on Busted Open this week, and one of the things that I noticed was that when they first started talking about the promo, because part of it was 
they keep talking about how everything that Eddie Kingston does is real, how he's like the oh, yeah. realest wrestler out there. And that's why people connect to him. So they started the conversation off by talking about how uh, things were real in the ring. So then they shifted the conversation to how things were real outside of the ring. And they went to that backstage promo. And as they're talking about that backstage promo, when they're talking about the realism and what made it feel so real to fans, they were talking about how, um, Moxley's wife, Renee, was getting in the middle of things and, you know, really kind of trying to take control of the situation. And at the very end, the last thing she says is, you need to fix this to Eddie, you yeah. know. And so they were having this conversation about that. And I'm thinking to myself, they're not bringing up the Chikara comment, because yeah. if you're going to talk about the realism, you have to talk about that Chikara comment, because that's. That's like real stuff. That's that's, that's where the real history. story is. Yeah, that's where their history is, and it, it it would be super smart to have them bring that back up on yeah. you know dynamite or so, Saturday. Well, sure. So they did make a they did eventually make a comment about um you know the the Chikara situation the comment and they really didn't get heavy into it. They just brought up the comment um and then they kind of moved on and then they went back to talking about you know, how real it was because Renee was getting involved and maybe why she was telling Eddie he needed to fix it instead of, you know, telling Mox, hey, you have to fix this, whatever. Um, But I often wonder if, and again, it was interesting because the episode that I was listening to was Dave LaGreca, Tommy Dreamer, and Bully Ray. And, you know, Tommy kind of, and I think a lot of people do, uh, consider Tommy like a wrestling historian. I mean, the guy oh, knows yeah. a lot about the history of wrestling, but I wonder how much these guys know about the actual story of, you know, Eddie and Claudio in Shakara. And I wonder if maybe that had something to do with why they didn't bring it up more, because maybe they just weren't completely aware of what the story was. Yeah. I don't know that for sure, but that's just, that that's a, a guess of mine that's like in, in the back of my head. No, yeah. But, um, no, I get yeah, that. so, it's, yeah, when, when I, as soon as he said it, as soon as I saw it on, on the TV, I sent Ralph a message. All I said was, I was just so excited. I was like, bro, they just announced that they just named Dr. Kara on AW Dynamite. I'm so excited. <laughs> like freaked out. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't home at the time. Uh, so I, I, made I was sure so excited. That I couldn't contain myself. I was like, Oh my God. As soon as I, as soon as I got home, I pulled it up on the DVR, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that is, I mean, that is super cool. And you can't, you can't get more real than that. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's name draw. I mean, anybody that knows anything about indies should know the name Chikara because they were so huge on the indies for a long time. So Mm -hmm. people should know that name. So when you name drop something like that, people should be like, whoa, like now he's getting into like real stuff here. So, um, yeah, for me, for me, it was a really big deal. Um, I think it's I think it's really interesting that they brought that up. Um, you know, for a while, the name Chikara didn't really have a good reputation in the wrestling world, just no. because of some of the things that went on during the um, speaking out movement. And I, I won't get into any of those things, and I won't say either way whether they happened or whether they didn't happen. Um, I, I was not there. I can't say for sure. Um, but 
you know, Chikara didn't exactly have the, the best name for a while there. Um, so it's, I, I think it's great that they're uh, bringing that up again. I hope that there's more connections they make to that, because I think if you're really going to have part of the issue, because uh, the issue at hand here is that Mox and Eddie were friends, really close friends. And now Mox is on a team with Claudio who Eddie and Claudio are like mortal enemies. Yep. So that's the whole, that's the whole issue here. So they have to, they have to delve into that somewhere because they got to get to the root of why Eddie and Claudio hate each other so much. Yeah. And the, the only way to do that is to tell the story and you've got to tell the story of them and Shakara if yeah. you're going to do it. No, that, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see where they take that. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of moving pieces in that story, but it'll be interesting to see where they take it. Cause I don't think, I don't think that Mox would have just brought that up for nothing. I don't think he would have just name dropped Jakara like that. So blatantly in a promo that was meant to be very, very real um, oh, yeah. without there being some sort of plan to pay off on that eventually. So um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, AEW has a number of connections to Chikara, so uh, it'll be, you know, with, with certain people that are there, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with that, uh, but for me, yeah, it was, as soon as you as soon as you sent that to me, I was like, oh, I gotta see this immediately, because like, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't want to toot my own horn here, but toot, toot, I feel like, I, I mean, I, I, I'm like the biggest Chikara fan I know, like me, no, yeah, you, I, uh, yep, you know, I've got yep. a couple other friends that are like Chikara diehards, and, uh, you know, um, it's just, I know that the fan base for Chikara was rabid and hardcore and dedicated and loyal. So there are a lot of people out there that I'm sure were, you know, popping just as much as you and I were. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's get into tomorrow's women's Money in the Bank match. We have Selena Vega. Versus the man Becky Lynch, versus uh, Trish Stratus's protege Zoe Stark, versus Bailey, versus her tag team partner Io Sky, versus the legendary Trish Stratus. What are your thoughts, and who are you picking for the win? All right. So, um, first off, my thoughts are: I don't understand why we have seven in the men's Money in the Bank match, but only six in the women's match. I'm not really sure what that's all about. Didn't even um, that. <laughs> but for for any instance, um, I, I I'm really kind of conflicted about this one because there's um, there's a couple things uh, about this. Um, there's again, I think a lot of moving pieces in this one. Um, you've got uh, you've got Zoe Stark and Trish Stratus, which you know, they've got their connection now, but at the same time, you know, I, I feel like, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to see dissension between the two of them, but I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't necessarily be surprised to see one, uh, you know, like take out the other if it comes down to it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I don't really understand. Like at, at this point, it's it's such a new thing 
and it seems very much um you know they, they they're putting a lot of importance on that relationship as it relates to Becky Lynch so i don't really know what's going to happen there um then you have Bailey and EO Sky which again i don't really know what's going to happen there either um i mean they've been uh they've been teasing you know sort of the breakdown of that for a while i think that um I don't know. That's that's a whole nother situation. Um, and then honestly, I feel like uh, Zelina Vega is the the wild card in all of this because she really doesn't she really doesn't fit into any of this anywhere other than the fact that you know she had her shot uh, in Puerto Rico, and obviously, um, you know, in the end, got totally manhandled by Rhea Ripley. Yeah, absolutely. So, she's kind of the wild card in all of this for me. Um, I really feel like I, I would love to see, I would love to see Bailey win this. That's, that's who, uh, I would like to see win because honestly, um, I'm a huge Bailey fan. Uh, I I've been a huge Bailey fan for a long time. As as I watched NXT, I watched with a, a group of friends. Uh, we religiously watched on the network every week, and I was the guy that was always saying, "Bailey needs to drop the gimmick and turn heel. Like it just needs <laughs> to happen to refresh the character." And I about shot out of the couch and fell over when they finally pulled the trigger. I was so excited. Um, but I am like a huge Bailey fan, so I would love to see Bailey win. However, I think through all of this. I think we're probably going to get a Becky Lynch win here. I I don't um I don't know. I don't really see I don't really see much else happening. I see if it's not Becky Lynch, then I feel like it's got to be Trish Stratus cuz I think if it comes down to it, Bailey and Io Sky are going to cancel out. Um uh, I feel like Zelina Vega will be the wild card um, that will somehow uh, get canceled out. I think Zoe Stark and Trish Stratus will probably take Becky Lynch out. I don't see Zoe Stark turning on Trish Stratus. If anything, I see her helping Trish Stratus. But it's to me, I think it's got to be. I think it's got to be Becky Lynch, unless you know, because I don't see. I don't see the value in having Trish win it simply because. You know, I don't think this is like a long-term run for Trish, and I don't really see her um, cashing in and winning a title at this point, just because I don't think it's going to be a long run for her. So, I'm I'm all about Lynch at this point. I I guess that's my pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't I don't know how you feel about it, but that's 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 my pick. If, uh, thinking about it, I I was going to say Trish, but just because I feel like if she does want to stay around longer and do like a long run have her get, like, one last title run in, and then she can really call it, like, like quits and retire for once and for all. Because I feel like that would be kind of cool, is you have Trish win Money in the Bank probably for the first time, um, mm-hmm. because they haven't had it for that long yet, for the women's side. It would be a huge thing for that match to have a legend win it, first of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have the fact that she can go on to, you know, face whoever champion she wants, and... Let her have one last run with the belt for, you know, a few months. It doesn't have to be long. It could be like two, three months at the most, maybe four, however long she feels that she wants to stay. And then have her, uh, you know, pass the torch to the next female wrestler. 
I think that I think that would be interesting to see, um, and I definitely think it's possible that they kind of go that route as far as um, you know, just just letting Trish have that one last run. Um, again, I think it all depends on on how long Trish is going to stay around. I don't think people expected her to stay around as long as she has so far. So, um, you know, a- anything could happen at this point. Um, I mean, I think this is, I think this is probably going to be, um, a, a much better match than, than people think it's going to be as long as they give them enough time. I think as long as they let, you know, it's, I, I'd be really disappointed if this match somehow lost out on time for other things. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully this match, hopefully this match goes on first. That would be my ultimate solution for this because then they wouldn't, they wouldn't have to suffer further down the card if something ran long. Like if you have, you know, if you have the bloodline out there, because obviously we don't think from what we've read that the bloodline is going to be the main event. So if they have the bloodline match out there, maybe, you know, middle of the show or, or whatever, um, you know, if that runs a little long, then, you know, something's got to, something's got to get cut. And you know that if the women's match is anywhere near the second half or the end of the show, uh, that's going to suffer. You know, that's where they're going to pull the time from. So yeah, yeah. hopefully uh, for me, I would think that the best situation would be just to have that match go on first. Um, but it's yeah. also an exciting way to, you know, kind of set the table for the rest of the card you know, having a, a money in the bank match first and they're not going to have the men's first. No, I highly I doubt like that. So if you're going to have it be about money in the bank, then as many matches as you have, you need to make the focal point, the money in the bank matches. That should just, you know, same as if you had hell in a cell, the show should be focused on the hell in a cell matches. Like it has to follow the theme of the show. Those, those matches should be when they get the time versus the rest of the, you know, the card, down below yeah i i would say that honestly um and and this is before we even get into the men's match i'm not a fan of the money in the bank pay-per-view i'm not a fan of the hell in a cell pay-per-view either no i don't think helena first off helena cell needs to be a special match it needs to be the finality of a feud it needs to be important I don't think there needs to be continuous pay-per-views where it has to be a thing. I, I don't like that at all. I um, want them to bring it back to Mania. Have it be a Mania match again. Yeah, um, Money in the Bank. Yeah, Money in the Bank started out as a Mania thing. Money in the Bank should have always stayed a Mania thing. Um, yeah, it would be a Mania I just, thing. Yeah, it, to me, that made it special. Because, yeah, I mean, having a pay-per-view is still having it once a year, but that match was always one of the highlights of WrestleMania. And especially if you're doing a two night WrestleMania and you're trying to fill that card, uh, you know, on both nights, I mean, having that money in the bank match as a, as a reserve, you know, I mean, let money in the bank open like night two every night at WrestleMania, like bring it back, like have the women's money in the bank open up the first night, have the men's money in the bank open up the second night. Cause I mean, how exciting was it before when like, you would have somebody early on in the show win Money in the Bank, and then the rest of WrestleMania, you're thinking to yourself, "Are they going to cash in tonight? Are they going to yeah, take the right. opportunity?" Just, you like, just didn't know. You just that's didn't exciting to me. Like, I want to see yeah. that again. <laughs> but it was um, 
yeah, so that's 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 my thoughts on the women's match. Um, I, I like where you're going with the the Trish Stratus thing. It's definitely a possibility. Of course, now that I've picked uh, Becky Lynch and you've picked Trish Stratus, it's probably <laughs> yeah. a lock that neither one of them are going to win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, we yeah. we both say our guesses that they're both entirely wrong. Yeah, yeah. So the men's side has me a little worried. And if you've read any of the articles online, you'll know why I'm worried. But the card goes as follows. Ricochet versus Nakamura versus L.A. Knight. Yeah. Santos Escobar versus, let's be honest, Pete Dunne. I'm not calling him Butch. Damian Priest and Logan Paul. Now, my concern is, from what I've read on the interwebs, Triple H and Vince are kind of at odds with their choices for winners. Triple H is on the Damian Priest and or L.A. Knight side. While Vince supposedly wants Logan Paul to win Money in the Bank. I am not one of those people that agree with that thought. thought Because I feel like at this point you have all these new stars on the rise. You need to let the ones who are there full time give them the spotlight. Like I see either Priest or LA Knight getting it. I, w- I kind of want it to be LA Knight a little more. Because I'm so high on him right now. He's so good. And I love just his whole character is just perfect. Um, so I really hope that he gets it. Uh, that's my pick. But yeah, I'm just concerned because I don't think Logan needs it. I just don't. All right. So for me, as far as the money in the bank men's match is concerned, um, so we look at when we're trying to figure out who's going to be, like who we think is going to win a match, one of the things that we think about, especially when it comes to title matches, world title matches, that kind of thing, we try to think about who's going to be a a credible challenger for the title. Uh, But the great thing to me about Money in the Bank is that whoever wins it doesn't have to be a credible challenger. So um, in that respect, I wouldn't necessarily be, um, I wouldn't necessarily be distraught if Logan Paul won it. Simply because, you know, yes, Logan Paul is a, uh, he's a celebrity in the world of wrestling, um, but I think he's one of the more talented celebrities that they have. I mean, there was probably a a legitimate second where some people actually believed that Logan Paul was going to beat Roman Reigns. So, I don't know. For me, um, if I look at, if I look at the names that are in this match, um, you have you have Damian Priest, which Damian Priest is a real credible talent, and Damian Priest I don't feel like is getting uh, is getting the the look or the opportunities that that he deserves. He's kind of like second fiddle to Finn Balor, and I think it's you know I think it's a real shame because he's super talented. Um, I kind of feel the same way with Santos Escobar. I feel like he's and again, nothing against the LWO, nothing against what they're doing with that. But I feel like he's, um, I feel like he's getting lost in the shuffle there because I think he's much more talented than what he's getting out of that. Um, so if I look at like, and again, you could say the same thing about Ricochet, although you know, uh, Ricochet's never reached the heights that he probably should have. But again, he's he's a smaller guy, he's a high flyer, so maybe that's you know not what. They they want to focus on same thing with Shinsuke Nakamura. Like if you look at this entire match, this entire match is built with people that are not getting the looks that they deserve because they're much more talented than what they're getting from creative. Yeah. So so for me, um, 
this one's this one's a real crapshoot trying to figure out who could win this one because I feel like LA Knight has the momentum going. Uh, he's got the crowd behind him, obviously. Um, but there's just so many different ways that they could go with this. I think when it comes down to it, I think that simply for, um, you know, I, I think it's, you won't see the signs, but I think it's going to be one of those situations where like, if LA Knight doesn't win, we riot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I would, I would think that they would have to pull the trigger on LA Knight, but here's, here's what I'm seeing with this. Cause I'm looking at these names and I'm not seeing, first off, I'm not seeing anybody that I could see legitimately try and cash in on Roman Reigns. The only person I could even see trying that is Logan Paul, just because he has that history from the match with Roman Reigns. Yeah. Uh, Anybody cashing in on Seth Rollins, I don't really see either, just because I'm not looking at these guys as like, I, I don't see them legitimately putting a title right now on any of these guys. So my thought would be that we're probably, I think for the fans sake, we might get an LA night um, win here. However, I think this is going to be one of those situations where eventually we're going to see this money in the bank go after another title. I don't think they're going after one of the world titles. Yeah. I just don't see it. I think that that, it's cool that they added that rule, by the way, I think that's, that makes it more, Unique that whoever wins it can go after any belt that they want, rather than just mm-hmm. having to be one or the other. They have, they have options. Yeah, More I, options. Well, and and I think at this point, if we're not going to put money in the bank back on WrestleMania, which there's pretty much no way that's going to happen uh, at, at this point. Um, so if we're not going to put it back on uh, on WrestleMania, then we might as well go all in on the idea of a money in the bank pay per view. You should have two men's and two women's matches. Well, no, well, we need a we need a secondary women's title somewhere, but um, that's a whole nother story. But <laughs> you you definitely, I mean, you could have like uh, you could have a world title men uh, men's money in the bank. You could have a men's money in the bank where the winner can challenge for either the U.S. or the Intercontinental title. Yeah. I, at the very least, at the very least, I think there should be a tag team Money in the Bank match mm. with a shot at the tag titles. I mean, you could do that for the women too, to be honest. Um, I, I think it should be, uh, I think it should be very akin to the old Survivor Series pay per views, where the entire pay per view was Survivor Series matches. Yeah. This entire pay per view should be Money in the Bank matches, yes. as far as I'm concerned. Ladder matches galore. Yeah, why not? Um, you've seen, I mean, we've seen other pay-per-views where, um, you know, things like that have happened. We've had the we've had the TNA pay-per-views where they've been all cage matches. So yep. why can't we do a WWE pay-per-view that's all Money in the Bank matches? Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I, I think we're going to end up with an LA Knight win just because it's it's good for the fans right now. I feel like it's that, and uh, I think he's already in his 40s, so not that wrestling age matters anymore. We've already had that discussion, but mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't have as much time as some of the younger guys would have to go for that brass ring, you know? So yeah. I feel like it's either now or never. Well, yeah, we're at that point. Um, I feel like 
I feel like if they don't do something with him soon, he's going to be one of those guys that asks for his release. Yeah. Because uh, they're just, I mean, here's here's another example of a guy, and I think this really kind of harkens back to, um, I mean, Matt Cardona, Zack Ryder is my best example. I mean, here's a guy who's building things for himself because creative simply isn't doing it. Yeah. So that's that's just me. Um, uh, I I think, though, I, I think they got to pull the trigger on him at yeah, this point. Um, even if even if he cashes in and doesn't win, even if he cashes in on a mid-card title, whatever the case may be, you, I think you got to pull the trigger on him. Yeah, I think it's uh, his time to shine. Give him the rocket and just send him out there, man. Yep, rocket strapper. They used to. Yeah. Uh, that's what, that's what they used to call. Uh, didn't they? Didn't they call? Uh, didn't they call the listeners of uh, Edge and Christians uh, Pot of Awesomeness? They called their fans Rocket Strappers. I think so. I, I believe that's the name they so. came up with. Uh, because they were always talking about rocket strappers and strapping a rocket to somebody and and shooting yeah. them to the moon. So yep. I think that's what they came up with. But yeah. Um, so anything else on the Money in the Bank pay per view really kind of stand out to you? I mean, is it is it really just a? Is everything else just a pretty much foregone conclusion? I mean, it's pretty much other than those matches. Like it's a throwaway. You know, our 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 focal point here is the Money in the Bank. So I'm mm-hmm. just gonna go off and say no. I just want to see who they see basically as potential champions because that's really what yeah. the these two matches highlight is. Whoever wins these matches has a chance to win any belt they want at any point in time. And whoever yeah. wins them is sort of what they see as their next top guy going forward. Yeah. The only person me, there's... was Otis when he won the Money in the Bank and he lost it. Yeah, uh, for, but, for me, uh, there's just nothing else exciting on the card. Like, there's no other matches that I'm really, I'm really that excited to see. To be honest, I'm sure they're all going to be great matches. Don't get me wrong, but I'm here for the money in the bank match. Yeah, pretty much. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Speaking of money in the bank, why don't we get into our top five cash-ins? Let's do it. Do you want to start with your number five? Sure. All right, so um, in in thinking about cash-ins, for me, um, the the first the first thing I thought about when it comes to money in the bank cash-ins is just overall excitement, because you know it, it's it's always super exciting because for the most part, money in the bank is a surprise. Like we have no idea that somebody's cashing in until they cash in. For the most part, uh, so for me, it's all about um, excitement. So, uh, my number five cash in is, uh, the Miz cashing in on Randy Orton on an episode of Monday night raw back in November of 2010. Right. Uh, Randy right. Orton had, yeah. Randy Orton had just, uh, had just won a match against Wade Barrett. Um, there was interference from the Nexus at the time who, uh, was was feuding with John Cena at the time, so John Cena was involved, the Nexus was involved, and uh, Randy Orton was pretty banged up as far as it goes, and uh, he was in the ring celebrating, and his music was playing, and the referee raises his hand, and he's kind of like hanging out in the corner, you know, holding himself up with the... And his music stops, and all of a sudden, The Miz's music hits. 
And here comes the Miz trucking down to the ring. Uh, poor Alex Riley trying to keep up with him. Uh, <laughs> which again, you know, if you're if you're looking at the overall excitement of this, at least for me, um, part of it is Alex Riley, which I'll get to in a minute. But uh, the they they have a it's not as it's not as quick as uh, as some of the cash ins. Um, you know, the Miz and Randy Orton go back and forth for a little while. Um, you know, they're in the ring, they're out of the ring. Uh, at one point, you know, Miz has Randy Orton kind of wrapped up around the corner post. And, uh, but it turns out that, uh, at, at the end, Randy Orton goes for his RKO. And as he goes to hit the RKO, Miz blocks it a little bit, wraps up the arms Hits him with the skull-crushing finale, and we get the one, two, three. And then in the background of the whole thing, you would think you would think that somebody had, like, shot Alex Riley in the foot. Because he jumped, like, 85 feet in the air. I have never seen anybody so excited to be the secondary person to someone who's just won a match in my entire life. Alex Riley went absolutely nowhere after this. But the yeah. Miz, talk about strapping a rocket to somebody and shooting him to the moon. This would this would take him on to uh, his his title defense against Cena at WrestleMania, which um, is is not only one of my my favorite Miz matches, um, but honestly, uh, the the promo that they do uh, before the match, where uh, the Miz is standing there in front of the TV screens and they're um, playing Nas. And they're showing all the footage from like when Miz first showed up. Like this was the start of all of that. This was where the Miz finally won the title, finally got that validation that he was looking for, that validation that proved like, listen, I'm here, I've made it. You can't deny it now. Um I just feel like that was the start of it. And for me, um even even looking at um even looking at my entire list. I think that's still the most exciting one for me on my entire list, and that's number five. So, wow. uh, I just, Big yeah, I, I think that was a huge, uh, a huge start for the Miz, a huge moment for him, and uh, definitely, definitely a very exciting moment uh, as far as Monday Night Raw goes. So, that is my number five. That was a very good pick, my friend. Yeah, I like, I like the, uh, I like the Miz. The Miz, uh, think... yes. Yeah, I think that's as he says, awesome. Yeah, that's and that's the start for me. That's the start of everything right there, as far as the Miz goes. <laughs> All right, so um, what do you got for your number five? You'll like my number five because you literally just mentioned her before. Mine goes to Bailey from Money in the Bank 2019. Uh, this was right after Becky Two Belts emerged after WrestleMania 35 and had both Raw and SmackDown championships. And going into Money in the Bank, she had to defend both belts. She retained her Raw Women's belt, but unfortunately, Charlotte Flair ended up beating her for the SmackDown Women's Championship. And after showing her celebrating for a while, guess whose music hit? And surprise, surprise, Bailey went in to cash in her Money in the Bank and became not only the longest reigning SmackDown champion at 380 days, but the first three women's Grand Slam winner in history up to that point. Mm. So it was not just a moment, but it actually pretty much skyrocketed Bailey to like superstardom. 
from then from that point on. Yeah, if I'm if I'm looking at my list, that Bailey win would be like five point five for me because honestly, um, and I almost put that on the list because uh, because that is a that is a huge moment um, that sort of puts Bailey into uh, an elite category when you talk about the Grand Slam win, um, and, and I just you know. Um, just an exciting moment in, in Bailey's career. Um, you know, uh, we've, we've seen some, we've seen some cash-ins that have been unsuccessful and, uh, just, just knowing that she was able to go out there and, you know, uh, Charlotte Flair of all people, uh, you know, it's just, it's a really, it's a really good moment for, for her career. Um, I'm, I'm not exactly sure that she's ever really gotten back to that point again. Um, I think I, she's I feel slowly like... getting to that point. I think it, I I'm think hoping. I think I'm hoping that they bills. go somewhere with that. But it is, it is, um, you know, sometimes when we look at these money in the bank cash-ins, um, it's not just about the surprise of it. It's not just about the excitement. But a, a lot of these cash-ins become uh, like defining moments, and in some cases, almost pinnacles of people's careers. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and um, for Bailey, it was literally it was her first reign as champion on mm-hmm. the main roster. But it and she held it for over a year, and she's won the belt since then. But she hasn't had it held it nearly as long as she has the first time around. Mm-hmm. And if you look at uh, if you look at like the history of women's wrestling in WWE, and you start to look at things like um, you know the the women's revolution and, and things like that, one of the things that they always point back to as far as the women's revolution is this idea of the four horsewomen in NXT. Yep. And if you look at the four horsewomen and their rise from NXT to the main roster and and each gaining individual success there, Bailey was really the last one to see the amount of success that the others had seen. Like she was really the last one to step into that sort of successful limelight and I feel like that win that cash in um really kind of catapulted her back to being at the same level as the others. Because if you look at the four of them, you know, uh, Becky, Sasha, Charlotte, and, and Bailey, you know, when they all came to the main roster, um, they, they all did, you know, really incredible things. We see where Becky Lynch has gone. Um, I mean, at, at one point, you know, Sasha was pretty much the most popular female in, in the company, uh, and she's had great success. Charlotte, there's there's not much you can say about you know, I mean, when she talks about being the queen, she's not kidding. Like, yeah, there's there's a level of success there that I don't think many, uh, you know, wrestlers will ever see. But then you have Bailey, who, you know, in in the fans' eyes, she was very successful because she was this role model for for young girls. Um, the idea of her like being this huge uh, fan you know, showing the, showing the pictures and the videos of her meeting wrestlers when she was younger and just very relatable to the fans, but she never saw that sort of commercial success that some of the others saw. Yeah. She was the last one to really get in there. So I I think that was a big moment uh, in in her career and kind of cementing her as being back on the level as, as the other three. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely made her, level with the other three because you know again that wasn't just her big moment not only did she beat charlotte but again she held that belt for over a year and it was again her very first time holding the belt 
Like, yeah, Becky can say that she was the first SmackDown Women's Champion, but Becky can say that she was the longest SmackDown Women's Champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and when you look at things like that, you look at um, you look at how the company views her. So not only was she able to successfully cash in the money in the bank, they gave her a win over Charlotte, and then that led to that title run that you're talking about. So obviously, yeah. this this was a moment in time when the company really felt strongly about her, um, you know, as a wrestler, as a character, as, um, you know, a, a TV personality, somebody that could really be sort of that face with the belt. Yeah. So, yeah, very cool. All right. Uh, moving on to my number four. Yes. And I, I picked this one because I felt like, for me, this cash-in was a little different than a lot of other cash-ins. This wasn't just uh, your your normal cash-in. And, and this was Randy Orton cashing in on Daniel Bryan at uh, SummerSlam in 2013. And the reason that this is so different is that it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just Randy Orton cashing in. You had Triple H sort of swerving everybody on this one and, you know, really kind of helping Randy Orton uh, to that, to that win and, and taking back that title. Um, And I think that was a real sort of, um, you know, paradigm shift there. Um, I think it definitely, uh, I think it definitely did some, uh, it did some things for uh, how people viewed Triple H. Um, You know, so I, I think there were a lot of, afterwards you know sort of ramifications that that came from that um i think for me that money in the bank cash in was more than just about the cash in um so i you know i think there was a, a definitely uh a lot to it um i think that uh just seeing the way um triple h was uh, involved in all of that and even sort of seeing um you know where things where things kind of led to after that so if you look at um you know this is this is SummerSlam, so we're at about the middle of the year so you know daniel bryan loses that title but what do we see happen after he loses that title you look at the slow build to the yes movement you look at the following year's WrestleMania, which was WrestleMania 30, and look at, you know, look at the absolute, uh, absolute incredible, uh, you know, sort of career-changing stuff that Daniel Bryan went through leading up to, to WrestleMania 30, and then getting the big win against Triple H, you know, getting the, the win for the title in the main event. Like, there, there's just so much, I think, that comes out of this um, cash-in that doesn't just have to do with that cash-in. Plus, it's another title win for Randy Orton, who at that point uh, probably didn't need another title win. I mean, Randy Orton, I think, is is one of those guys that you talk about that um, is a champion with or without the title. Like, here's a guy who doesn't need a championship to be main event. This is a guy that... Um, Anytime he kind of steps on the scene, he almost instantly inserts himself into, you know, main event roles. I mean, he had the, he had the, the, the tag run with Riddle and 
that was great. I mean, I think we got to see a whole other side of Randy Orton. But at any time, you literally could have seen Randy Orton turning to Riddle, giving him an RKO, saying, I'm done with this. I should be world champion. And just instantly being back in the main event. Yeah. Because that's just who Randy is as as a, as a wrestler, as a person, uh, as a quote unquote legend in this business, you know. Um, so I I think for me that Money in the Bank carried so much weight to it that elevated a lot of things outside of that cash in. Yeah, and uh, great minds take a look. That was my number four pick as well. So uh, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That was my pick. That's really cool. I, I believe that that was one of the best storyline-based cash-ins ever in WWE history. Because it wasn't just, like I said, mm-hmm. about the cash-in. It was about the story that was leading up to the cash-in, leading up to WrestleMania 30 with Daniel Bryan. Because that was just at the peak of the estimate. It had just started to bloom right around mm-hmm. SummerSlam 2013. Um, and we knew that because John Cena heard the fans he was one who who handpicked Brian as his opponent for SummerSlam leading up to yeah. that match. He said, "I pick you." And what did he do? He beat John Cena, which which mm-hmm. yes, we can, you know, say about Orton's cash in, but the fact that Brian beat John Cena clean in the main event SummerSlam is already a huge feat. Oh, absolutely. Before the inevitable uh, betrayal by Triple H that led to the Yes movement taking over Mania or WWE for almost a year, mm-hmm. where they had to listen to them. They had to say, "Okay, we need to make Brian our guy because the fans will riot." Yeah, um, that was something. Happened. Yeah, well, and and that was something else I forgot to mention. Uh, in all of this, is that before Randy Orton cashed in on Daniel Bryan, Daniel Bryan had just beaten John Cena, and as we all know, I love a good John Cena loss. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, as as much as I as much as I may respect the guy for some of the things he's done, I am one hundred percent a uh, loyal uh, non C Nation member. Um, I am the I am the uh, chief executive officer of the anti C Nation. Um, so I uh, I am not a fan of John Cena as a character. Again, a lot of it not his fault. Uh, you get what you get from creative sometimes. And when you're stuck as the, you know, forebearer of the PG era, there's not much you can do. However, uh, a good John Cena loss for me uh, is, is always a, a good time. And so, yeah, it's, you, you bring up a great point there. That storyline, like we talked about the storyline after the cash in, but that storyline leading up to cash in was so good. Cause I mean, you know, we all know what we know about Daniel Bryan slash Brian Danielson. We know what he was like on the Indies. We know how good he is. Um, you know, we know what his early time in NXT, what a failure that was just because I don't think yeah. they ever really got him or they ever really knew what to do with him. Um, that just doesn't I mean, exist you, in my mind. When you have, when you have Michael Cole on commentary, burying people because they spent 10 years on the Indies or what have you, uh, you know that there's something wrong because oh, yeah. that I mean that would never fly these days. I mean the the black and gold brand was built on guys who spent you know ten years on the indies, but 
you know, it, that storyline leading up to it was so good. Yeah, like this, there's that whole like, like two year stint was just like the best like long term booking from like Mania to Mania. Like it was just mm-hmm. like they knew exactly what the plan was and they executed it in my eyes so well. Especially mm-hmm. my favorite night leading up to Mania was when. The S movement took overall. They had fans in the ring and out of the ring, just yesing Triple H to the point where he had to say yes to the match, and it was just a moment in time that I'll never forget because it was so cool. That that me, um, that was an amazing yes moment. The only moment I feel that eclipsed that just a little bit was uh, when when Daniel Bryan was in the Wyatt family. Oh, that and they match? had the cage match and oh. he was he was in the blue jumpsuit so good. and when he find when he finally turned on the Wyatt family and he's like standing up on the cage and doing the yes and you can see the entire crowd behind him just doing the yes as well. Like for me, that was such an emotionally charged moment just because people had been waiting for the other shoe to drop yeah. for so long. And when it finally did, the place went nuts. But the moment on Raw where the Yes Movement took over is just a hair behind that because that is such a good moment as well. Yeah, it's just uh, just moments that will live forever rent-free in my mind. That's one of them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there are so many great moments. Um, you know, uh, Daniel Bryan is what he is. And the fact that he's having such a career resurgence and getting these amazing matches in... AEW. I mean, one of the things they mentioned on Busted Open this week was that his match with Okada at Forbidden Door was probably one of the reasons why he went to AEW because it would have made it possible at some point to have that match. Yeah. Um, and so everything with him is all about just this quality wrestling right now, which is what he's always been about. But if you look at his WWE run, I feel like there's so many things that are just underrated there. The the yes movement is not talked about enough. That became a worldwide phenomenon. You saw that at sporting events. You saw yeah, pro it athletes everywhere. doing that. It wasn't just wrestling. Yeah. That thing went everywhere. Oh yeah, it was worldwide viral. Um, so I don't think the yes movement sometimes gets enough credit. But I also don't think Team Hell No gets enough credit. I love Kane and Daniel Bryan were Hell amazing. No. I loved that whole. I loved everything about it. I loved that they were a comedy duo. I loved that it was, I'm the tag team champions. I loved, I loved uh, just everything about it. They were such a good duo together. And like, I know that Kane shouldn't ever be silly, but Kane, Kane silly like that made me so happy. Like I was, it was a, yeah. it was a different side of Kane that you don't normally can see because you always see him as the monster, but it was just, well, uh, I loved that, that, that time frame. It's all. It's almost like anything they put in front of Kane, he just knocks it out of the park. Just knows so what to when do. They, he gets it. That's why he's like yeah, the when, to this when day. When they decide to make him, <laughs> when they decide to make him a comedy character, he just knocks it out of the park. But I, I will say that, um, as as much as I liked Kane and Daniel Bryan together as part of Team Hell No, I, I think Doctor Shelby inches them out just a little bit as, I my, mean... as my favorite honorary <laughs> member of Team Hell No. Yeah, dude. The stuff with Dr. Shelby was just, I mean, that's, to me, that's some of the funniest stuff we've ever seen on Raw. And there's been a lot of good stuff. I mean, I'm a Mean Street Posse fan, so that tells you everything you need to know. But, <laughs> like, that 
Team Helena stuff with Dr. Shelby was just amazing, but we're getting off track here. No, it's cool. We're, we're going to, we're going down the rabbit hole. We're going down the uh, rabbit hole. What happens? Listen, guys. This is, it's like is when our, I watch YouTube wrestling videos. Wrestling is kind of our thing, so we can just <laughs> go down rabbit holes like this, and we just yeah. don't. It happens. I, so I'm just going to get into my number it, three. Let's just do that. Um, <laughs> okay. My number three, we're going to Money in the Bank 2016. And this was an interesting time because you had Reigns as your champion. You had Rollins had just come back from injury from a from a really bad knee injury, mm-hmm. and he was Rollins against Reigns for the championship at this specific Money in the Bank. Ambrose mm-hmm. had already won his his uh, contract the, earlier in the night. Rollins w- beats Reigns. Ambrose's music hits. Ambrose cashes in on, on Rollins, beats Rollins. Ambrose becomes champion. Uh, so in one night, probably for the only time, all three members of the Shield were a champion in one night because Ambrose cashes in on Rollins after Rollins beats Reigns for mm-hmm. the belt. Yeah, and what I think is interesting about that is maybe not so much, and that's a that's an amazing point when you think about the fact that all three members of but when you look at uh, when you look at the, the situation as it is, and we kind of look back in hindsight, knowing the things that we know now, it's amazing to see that on the bottom of that list is Roman Reigns, the guy that we're considering like one of the greatest wrestlers of all time now, um, having surpassed Pedro Morales on the list of longest reigning champions. I mean, we're talking about this guy as being in, you know, one of the greatest storylines of the last 20, 30 years, possibly one of the greatest storylines of ever, possibly the greatest storyline of ever. We, we don't know how, we don't know how this is going to turn out in the end, but this could end up being the greatest story ever told in professional wrestling yeah. over this period of time. But that night Reigns was like the last guy, like he was the last guy on the list. Yeah. He got beat by Seth. Then Ambrose beat Seth. Like, you know, Roman was the first loser of the night. Yeah, and it and for Ambrose that, that came full struggle because he had been waiting three years since the Shield betrayal to get his vengeance on Rollins. So what does he do? Mm-hmm. Cashes in on him as soon as he wins it, and there's his vengeance right there. There's his revenge, sweet sweet revenge. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and here's something I don't think people really necessarily think about, but I think it's really interesting to bring this up because if you look at what happened there? So you have Dean Ambrose win the title. And I don't think that if Dean Ambrose won the title that night, we wouldn't have the John Moxley we have today. Because the reason that we have the John Moxley that we have today, the reason that he didn't stay with WWE, the reason he went to AEW, all of this was because in large part, he was not happy with the way his creative was being handled in WWE. And yeah. I feel like a lot of that stems back to that title run because what's the one thing we always talk about on this show? Missed opportunities. And yeah. I feel like that title run with him was just missed. I don't think when, when they split up the shield, I don't think Dean Ambrose as we know him now as John Moxley ever really fit into that WWE mold. He was no. like he, he was like Moxley light. And it did yeah. not oh, go oh, well. Oh yeah. 
Vince just it saw him work. as this like funny guy. Like he, like Vince didn't see him as this yeah. unstable, crazy guy. Vince just thought he was just funny guy that yeah. just made jokes and was just funny, but also kind of weird yeah. too. Yeah, it um, it it just didn't fit. It it never. He never really, he never really was able to realize. I think the potential that he wanted to realize in WWE because who he was was not who he was allowed to be. So he was never going to reach that potential. No, he needed to go elsewhere to find his inner mox. Mm-hmm. And thank God in AW he found it. He's never been happier now that he's like yeah. AW. He's like the happiest wrestler like ever. Oh, absolutely. Um, but again, I don't think we would have gotten there if we wouldn't have had that that cash in and that title win. I think that really was the catalyst in sort of kicking off all these feelings of just, um, you know, not, uh, not, not enjoying his time. there, not feeling like the creative that was given to him was on the level that he wanted to be on. And, uh, you know, it's like you said, I mean, it's, it's great that AEW did come around that there was now a place for him to go, uh, and a place for him to really uh, sort of, like you said, you know, find that inner mox. Like, well, yeah, it's. He even said in um, interviews that if AEW hadn't was never formed, he probably would just would have went back to the indies. Yeah, and I, I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, no, not at all. But you have to, but you have to look at the situation, because um, I mean, you do have guys, uh, for example. Uh, I heard an interview with Matt Cardona this week. He was on Busted Open because he's got a big match with uh, Bully Ray this weekend at the ECW Arena. And he had mentioned that uh, 2022 was his most successful year ever. He made more money in 2022 than he had when he was in WWE. So there are guys that can go to the indies and really make a career and a living for themselves that is a great living. Yeah. yeah, they're 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 busting their butts. They're really, you know, uh they're they're out there working day in and day out and they're promoting their own brand, but it works for them and um but it's it's good though that there's a a, a larger presence out there for someone like a John Moxley to go to where he can be John Moxley. Absolutely. So yeah, right. that that was a that was a great pick. All right. So, three. yeah. So my number three um, is sort of uh, relates to your number three. Uh, my number three is Seth Rollins cashing in at WrestleMania 31 to steal the title from uh, Lesnar and and Roman Reigns. Now, as much as I love the Bloodline storyline, I've been tired of Roman Reigns for a long time. And that's just me. Yeah, I, I don't that. say this because I think <laughs> ring product is bad. I don't think the things that he he does are necessarily bad. I'm simply tired of the character. And I've been saying that for a long time. I have been waiting for the bloodline to uh, implode for such a long time simply because the story that I really want to see told is the story of what happens to Roman Reigns after he no longer has anybody. Like, it's just, he's on the island of relevancy by himself. How does he come back from that? And I think that's the character change that would make him 
relevant and fresh to me again, where I would now be invested in him again. Cause I'm just, as far as the bloodline goes, he's like the guy I'm least invested in, in this story. Well, anyways, um, so a, a, a rain's loss to me or a, a non loss as it would be, um, is, is always good. Um, but I feel like this was, um, I mean, this was probably the biggest cash in to happen at a mania. And it was such a shock when, when Rollins came out and in the history of professional wrestling, and this includes the ultimate warrior. I don't think I've ever seen anybody run faster to the ring than Seth Rollins did. That oh my night. God. He booked it. like Seth. Seth Rollins must have got like a six mile head start and just <laughs> like he must have taken like 52 five hour energies and just started like six miles down the road and had been running at the highest speed possible. I mean, he was like a blur coming down that ramp. I'm surprised he didn't somehow injure himself getting into the ring because I mean, it was just the, it. the whole thing, the whole, um, you know, uh, the you know we always talk about like the the very first cash in was edge and they call him the ultimate opportunist well that term greatly applies to seth rollins that night because he went in there and just took the opportunity took the title um and and i feel like this was i feel like this was a really good uh a really good way to end mania a very surprising way to end mania um you know People always like to go home from Mania with a good feeling, and seeing that was incredible. I feel like that started a, a, a good title run for Seth. Um, you know, definitely uh, built some built some storylines there, uh, and it was just honestly. I mean, I talked about you know my number five being the Miz, and and that being so super exciting. Like that was the uh, the most exciting cash in to me. But this is just a hair below that, because honestly, I mean, who who didn't who didn't jump out of their seat when Seth Rollins came running out there? Yeah, like, it was just so a, good, such a great moment. Yeah, and I think if I have to look at and and I mean to to come up with my top five, I did like a, a good little deep dive on all of the cash-ins. and if I look at all of the cash-ins, honestly. I think to me, this one is the most surprising. And we've had, you know, we've had some cash-ins that have been called ahead of time. Like we knew people were cashing in. Um, but for a lot of it, it was this element of surprise. Like when is somebody going to cash in? Like it's, it's, you know, you've had people come down and like pretend they were going to cash in and then decide yeah. not to cash in. Like there's always this element of surprise to it that makes it like so exciting. That's what, kind of makes money in the bank such an interesting concept is that that's level of surprise and excitement. I think this was the most surprising of any cash in, um, you know, obviously the first cash in was the first cash in. And so I don't think anybody saw that coming. And yet somehow yeah. I still think this was a bigger surprise. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, that to me, that's a, that's a huge moment. Um, I love that. Uh, I love that show. Um, I, I love that mania and I love that mania, you know, specifically uh, for that uh, cash in as well. I think it was definitely, um, you know, a, a, a big part of everything. And 
Interestingly enough, and this has nothing to do with the cash in itself, but I do want to mention this. Um, so WrestleMania 31 was a very interesting WrestleMania for me. Um, I had always spent, I had spent the majority of my life, uh, you know, having WrestleMania parties every year because WrestleMania was like, not to be, not to be, uh, you know, anti-religious or anything here, but WrestleMania was like my Christmas. WrestleMania was always yeah. my number one <laughs> holiday like, of the year. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a very religious guy. Um, you know, uh, love Jesus, love God, work for the kingdom, all that stuff. However, um, WrestleMania was my day. Like that was my thing. That I, I, uh, I always, I, if I was working, I always took the Monday off after WrestleMania because, nice. like, it, it's just my thing. So, um, I'd always had you know big WrestleMania parties every year, and that year. Everybody was out of town. Anybody that I used to watch with was out of town. And my dad, who was never really into wrestling, um, he had gone to a show or two with me. And, uh, you know, I've, I've talked before about uh, him and Shikara and uh, really uh, being obsessed with Ola, Oleg the Usurper after the first time he saw him. But my dad was not a big wrestling fan. So he was like, well, you know, I'll watch it with you. So I spent WrestleMania 31 watching the event with my father, and it was a really incredible evening because my father was fully paying attention to the whole show. He wasn't, like, sitting there reading a newspaper while he was watching the TV, which is normally what he would do. Intently watched the whole show with me. I literally explained every single match to him, told him the build-up to the match. Like, I gave him all the storylines, and we watched that pay-per-view together, and... um yeah, uh since he's since he's been gone, I have not watched that pay-per-view in its entirety, which is odd for me because I rewatch WrestleMania's a lot. Um but I've I've never I've never fully watched that show again. Um I've only seen bits and pieces of it. Um I I watch the the Seth Rollins cash in from time to time when I'm watching, you know, moments and things, but um that pay-per-view will always hold a really special place to me because it's the only pay-per-view i've ever sat and watched uh with, with my father who uh is is no longer with us um so yeah that's a that's a very special moment to me that's really cool yeah all right let's uh let's get back to some some happy discussions here let's talk about some more cash-ins <laughs> and i believe we are up to your number two number uh, we've got two a piece left so i'm excited yeah i'm gonna do number two is uh because a lot, because not too often do money in the banks. They're not just always cheap wins, right? They're just you know some some of them mm-hmm. have been announced or they challenge the person to a match at so and so time. Yeah. So the second ever cash in, Mister Monday Night, Rob Van Dam, I think is extra special for multiple reasons. Uh, one, he uh, challenged him to a match at One Night Stand, two thousand six, the very first one since the ECW mm-hmm. reboot. Two, it was in the Hammerstein Ballroom, where the champ was as good a heel as he will ever be in his career. He was a heel there 100%. Uh, mm-hmm. it, they were, there were signs in the crowd that says, if Cena wins, we riot. Like, they were there to trash him. And boy, did they. Mm-hmm. It was easily the longest uh, cash match in the history. It, they went 20 minutes before uh, Edge and his... Uh, Motorcycle helmet, speared 
Cena and set up the uh, five-star Frog Splash for RVD to get the win. But it was just multiple two reasons. It was RVD's first big championship win, I think, in WWE other than like an IC belt. So that was really cool to see. They made him uh, go from that to the ECW champion, which was really cool to see because it was the old ECW belt, not the silver one, but the old one. That was cool. It just felt special for so many reasons. You know, like it was the second ever, but it was also just, it, they made the second ever just as important as when Edge first cashed it in at Cena at New Year's Revolution. It just felt mm-hmm. important. Yeah, so um, a number of things to talk about here, a number of things, uh, a number of connections. So obviously, um, you know, there's there's not only is this the second cash-in, but there's uh, an obvious connection to the first cash-in as the person who first cashed in Money in the Bank was also involved in this match and highly involved in the decision. So there is that, you know, cool connection to the original uh, Money in the Bank holder. Um, then, you know, the the whole way that RVD got to this match is really interesting as well. Cause if we look at um, not just the history of money in the bank, but if we look at the history of one night stand, uh, this was the second uh, one night stand pay-per-view that they had done. The first one night stand pay-per-view that they had done was RVD's idea. He was the one that suggested uh, the pay-per-view to Vince McMahon uh, thinking that it was crazy, that it would never happen. And uh, Vince saw the money in it. And then, of course, RVD gets injured and is unable to participate in that first one night stand. And so, um, you know, I think a lot of what we got to see at the second one night stand and even sort of the second coming of ECW as a brand um, was all related to what had happened to RVD at the first one night stand and the fact that he was unable to participate. And so now... The second one night stand, which again was his idea, was really built around the idea of him. Um, and I think, as far as money in the bank winners go, and and this is not necessarily a thing that they do too much now, but you have to look at RVD as literally the coolest money in the bank winner because he had the uh, airbrushed money in the bank briefcase that he carried like that was just cool that was a a cool thing to do um and you know you talked about you know uh, cena the champion being this ultimate heel i mean those fans if they could have gotten their hands on him would have killed him i mean he threw his (laughs) he threw his shirt into the crowd three times and the one guy snotted all over it. The one guy wiped his butt with it and threw it back at him. Um, I mean, the great thing about it was, and again, I, me not being a scene fan, these are hard things for me to talk about, but like for Cena to be willing to go into that environment and be that heel and play it up, I mean, that just speaks volumes about who John Cena is, his dedication to the craft, his knowledge that, hey, this is big money for everyone involved. Like, this is big business for us, and it's what's best for business. Um, you know, to, to go in there and just, you know, be a part of that, um, you know, uh, work with Rob, who 
um, you know, we all know we all know RVD, and we all know what RVD is capable of, and yet I still think there are times where RVD is underrated and doesn't get the amount of credit that he should because he's an amazing athlete. Uh, he does things in the ring that are just, you know, uh, far and above what other people are able to do. So sometimes I don't think he gets uh, enough credit, even though he's a Hall of Famer. You know, we don't talk about his uh, abilities enough. Um, but this was just, to me, I think this was the one cash-in. If you look at all the cash-ins, this cash-in could be described as the perfect storm. Absolutely. RVD wins money. RVD wins money of the bank. Uh, one night stand is coming up. Cena's the champ. Cena is so hated by the ECW crowd. Edge is involved. There's just so many things that make this such a, a perfect cash-in. And I think, to your point, you said this was the longest cash-in match at 20. The cash-in that got that full amount of time. Yeah. You know? It was a, there weren't many, but like I said, it was, it was a full match. It wasn't given us like a run in and that was it. It was mm -hmm. like, they actually gave, gave a, a match time. Yeah. I think the only other, yeah. other person to do that is I think John Cena. Mm -hmm. Who, when he cashed in, he announced his, uh, his who he was going to face and then that was it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, just, I mean, everything was just so great with this cash in, um, so, uh, my number two is the same one. Yeah. RVD cashes in on John Cena. Two for Cena. two. So, two yeah. for two. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was all about it. Um, just, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, that, that, that pay-per-view to me, um, the, the first one night stand is, is really special cause it's just, it's a fun show, but that second one night stand I, I think, honestly, you know, for as much as the first one night stand was what it was and it was such an incredible, you know, moment for a lot of different reasons and for a lot of ECW fans, to me, I feel a bigger connection to the second one. And I think the second one to me is more iconic just because of, of what they're able to do with that cash in. Yeah, absolutely. All right. It's time. I it's, like it's, that. It's the We've big reveal. Very number one. Very instinct so far. I'm 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 surprised because this was literally a uh, last minute topic. So I'm surprised. Um, my number one. Uh, I've mentioned it several times on this show, and I don't think he gets enough credit. And I know his reign lasted all of like two minutes, but just the moment itself is what means more to me than the actual reign itself. And that's when Dolph Ziggler cashed in on Del Rio on Raw after Mania in 2013. Because um, Mania, the Raw to Mania always holds a special aura as it's the night after Mania, brings even more surprises than the show it shows. It's a chance to capitalize on that massive crowd from all mm -hmm. over the world to remember moments that would never be forgotten. And in my eyes, there may not be a single moment more well-remembered than the night Ziggler cashed in on his briefcase on an injured Del Rio to a raucous ovation. Just the roof, when he got that pin, the roof blew off. I've never heard a louder chant for Ziggler, I think, in his career than when he cashed in that briefcase that night. Mm -hmm. Like, it was just a... It's, it, it, this is what made this simple cash-in so impactful. 
The crowd mm-hmm. at his back made Ziggler a bigger star in one night than he ever had been or ever would be again. Yeah. Um, so the so you had you had WrestleMania twenty nine, which um, you know uh, WrestleMania twenty nine was such a huge uh, WrestleMania to begin with. And to your point, I think that comes a lot from the crowd. Um, you know, that crowd was, um, that crowd was just unbelievable. Um, that New Jersey crowd that was there carried over into the very next night. So, um, that crowd was really just so hot, so into everything. And what really kind of paints a picture of this time in, in wrestling, um, the Monday night Raws after WrestleMania always used to be this huge thing, not just because like the raw after mania became such a big deal with surprises and all kinds of things happening, but it's also the holdover crowd from WrestleMania because everybody that travels in for WrestleMania does not waste their time just to travel in for WrestleMania. They stay for Monday night raw and that crowd is just different than any other crowd. However, these days I don't feel like we're getting that same crowd. Not at all. No. So this is a time period in, in wrestling when, you know, you had that, that raucous crowd. And I think that, um, the fact that it was Dolph Ziggler, because I think if anybody else had maybe held the money in the bank and cashed in that night, it might not have been, it, it would have been a huge ovation, but it might not have been as big because I think people were hungry to see uh, Dolph Ziggler succeed. I think people were hungry to see him get the credit that was due to him. Um, he's, he's a workhorse. He's, uh, he's great all the time. Um, you know, wrestlers will talk about it and, and some fans will talk about it, but I, I don't think he ever gets enough credit for how good he really is at what he does. And for the longest time, he simply wasn't getting the credit that was due to him. And I think it was this, again, to use the same term, it was a perfect storm of that hot WrestleMania crowd the night after WrestleMania the fact that it's Dolph Ziggler and fans have wanted to see him, you know, win the big one uh, for such a long time. I, I think it all just kind of uh, kind of came together. And, you know, uh, we we can give some credit to Alberto Del Rio as well, because he was a believably hateable champion. Oh, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. You, want talk, you want to talk about a champion that, that uh, really worked for and earned his booze like he was the guy. <laughs> I mean. Here's here's a guy who ran over Santa Claus on Monday Night Raw. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people people forget that he did that dastardly thing. Like he ran and I mean what was great about the night that he ran over Santa Claus was that like even Roberto Rodriguez wanted nothing to do with him. He's like, ah no, I him in no way, brother. Like um but yeah, I mean he was he was a really hateable champion, which is exactly what you want from a, a heel champion. I mean, I honestly, um, he had one of my favorite entrances of all time. Just, I loved his entrance theme. I loved when he would come out 
and the whole background would be like the mansion up on the hills and he would drive out in the car. And I just, <laughs> I loved everything about his entrance. And part of it was that it was so over the top that it just, it made you hate him more, but I loved his theme music like that. Oh, yeah. the, that's probably in my top 10 theme musics of all time from WWE. I just, I loved it. Um, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, I think it all kind of, I think it all kind of fell together again into this sort of just perfect moment, this encapsulation of, you know, uh, wrestling at the time. Because uh, cause WrestleMania 29, WrestleMania 29 was a hot WrestleMania, let me tell yeah, you. Yeah, I was there for that with my brothers. It was an amazing, amazing show. My very first Mania, i never never forget it. We made signs so, for um, The Undertaker, where each of us yeah. had a sign. One was a number, one was a dash, and one was the zero. Yeah. So we all ended up when Taker came out. <laughs> it was very cool. Um, were you were you ex- were you excited to see Punk that year? Oh yeah, no, I was excited for the whole thing. Like, uh, yeah. it didn't. I wish they would have caught it on the uh, live mic on the show because I watched it back. But in our mm-hmm. like in our area where we sat, there were opposite chance of, of Taker and CM Punk like deafening around us. Mm-hmm. Opposite chance, and it was so cool. But when I watched it back. Y- you didn't catch it on the mic because there were so many fans, but it was a cool moment that I got to live in and sit in because, like, our yeah. crowd, our our section was just hot for both sides, and it was really cool. So, I was I was at WrestleMania 25 in Houston. I saw Taker and Michaels live, which cool. a lot of people consider that to be the 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 greatest Mania match of all time. Um, however, I will say this. Um, for having seen Michaels and Taker live, my favorite Taker match at WrestleMania is Punk and Taker. I yeah, thought good. the build up to that match was so incredible, and you know one of the things that uh, one of the things that Punk was um, really upset about in in his WWE career was that. Punk and Taker was not the main event of WrestleMania 29. That was something that he was very vocal about, and yeah. he felt that they were the best match on the card. And I mean, I I, agree. I, I can't really disagree. <laughs> Seeing it live, I can't disagree because the matches afterwards, in our eyes, were kind of boring. Like that was like to us, mm-hmm. to us, that was the end of the show. Like we like we, we like we watched the rest of it. It was good, but like nothing topped that match after that. That was it. Yeah, I I can't disagree either. Um, because again, that's that's my favorite Taker match. I just felt that everything they did about that match was so good. Um, the build up to it was great. Um, I was very much a a big uh, fan of that version of Punk at the time. Uh, you know, the 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 Paul Heyman led Punk, and I just I I very much enjoyed that whole thing. Um, so yeah, that I mean, so you have a crowd coming off of that going into Monday Night Raw, and yeah, just uh, an incredible moment. And you you want to talk about a uh, time period? You got to think about back, back then. Who was with Dolph Ziggler at that point? AJ Lee and Biggie oh, Langston. Yeah. yeah, you had two up and coming, you know, stars with Ziggler, who was also up and coming, and now look where they're all at. Ziggler is still. One of the best modern workhorses of the of the era. You had Big E, who's not only been multiple time tag champion, but WWE champion one time, mm-hmm. also because of a cash in. So like, 
there's always these moments that like get people to the next spot. Even though they were all at the time young, all three mm-hmm. of them, them are now went on to do bigger and better things after they, you know, left their little group that they had. Yeah, absolutely. Um, very, very cool. Let's hear uh, your number one. Uh, all right. So it is time for my number one. And uh, I cannot say that I picked the same number one that you did. Okay. Um, I will say that uh, I did have I did have a hard time because at one point, as I was narrowing down my list, that Dolph Ziggler Cashin was on my list at one point um, for the very reasons that we talked about. Because I thought it was again when we talk about monumental moments in people's careers. I mean that was just. Uh, but again, so many great things about it: the crowd, all of all of these factors. Uh, so I almost had that one on my list. But my number one is the very first cash-in, the original cash-in, Edge cashing in on Cena at New Year's Revolution in twenty in 2006. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, all right. So, um, again, this is the very first cash-in. This is a big deal. Um, you know, Edge wins Money in the Bank at WrestleMania 21, and we really have – we have no idea what this means. We have no expectations for it. We have no, uh, we have no idea what's going on. And it was a, a very weird sort of, I guess, way to cash in, um, just because it did not necessarily become the norm, but you know, you had Cena in this absolutely grueling elimination chamber match, just, you know, when that elimination chamber match was over, Cena was slumped over on the mat in the corner, like exhausted. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, and then here comes Vince McMahon strutting out with his power strut, you know, Oh, here we go. Raise, raise the, raise the chamber. You know, um, that's a terrible Vince McMahon impersonation, but <laughs> yeah, I can, I can again. do the walk really well. I just, <laughs> yeah, yeah can't do the, I can't do the, the voice. No, I can't do the voice. Um, <laughs> But yeah, he comes out and he's like, we're not done yet. We're not done. Raise the chamber. And then out comes Edge. His music hits. Uh, He hands the Money in the Bank briefcase to Vince. And then he and Lita make their way down to the ring. And uh, this was was important for a lot of reasons. Um, Number one, I mean, obviously it's the first cash-in. So, you know, we're, we're setting the bar kind of high here because not only is it, you know, future Hall of Famer Edge, but, uh, you know, a, a future uh, a future Hall of Famer in, in John Cena as well, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. You know, it, uh, the champion at the time, I mean, these are two huge names, um, you know, and, and again, just setting expectations, the fact that Cena was absolutely exhausted and this is where edge really earns the title of ultimate opportunist um you know uh hitting the ring and just uh going at it and again this this now sets an expectation because the very first winner of money in the bank cashes in wins the title match so now we had a string of cash-ins where you know we continued to have people every time they cashed in you pretty much knew it was a guarantee that they were going to win the title. Cause I think, didn't we go all the way to like Damian Sandow before we had somebody cash in unsuccessfully? Wasn't he the first one? We had, 
we had a, a pretty long stretch there where they it was like an eighty percent chance that if someone won the the money bank they were gonna win the belt at some point. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I wonder if Damian was the first person to fail a cash in. Yeah, I I believe he was. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um but yeah, we, we it it that first one just set the expectation and set the bar, um, you know, fairly high. And uh, again, we saw, you know, just many people cash in and win. And like you said, you you got to a point where um, it was, uh, you know, it, it was just a, a a guarantee that they were going to win. So. Um, yeah, I I think that um actually the first just... one was John Cena himself. Oddly enough. Well, first I mean technically he was in. he was unsuccessful. He won the match. He won by disqualification, but he didn't get the title. So, I mean, technically technically his cash in would have been successful cuz he he won the match, but he didn't win the title. So, I don't know. That's that's a weird kind of like a, a weird kind of thing to have happen. Um, I mean, I would, I would be, uh, I would be, um, I, I would go along with that, that he, I would say that that was an unsuccessful cash in just cause he didn't walk away with the title, even though he won the match. So I, I would be willing to agree with that, but I know, I mean, Damien Sandow was another big one where, uh, you know, his cash in was unsuccessful. Um, Baron Corbin had an unsuccessful cash in. So, you know, there there were some unsuccessful cash-ins, but by and large, you know, the there's a real expectation that, you know, the person who cashes in is going to win the title, and that was all set in place by Edge. Um, and, you know, the, the Edge cash-in led to, uh, I feel like that kind of led to really cementing not only his legacy as... The ultimate opportunist but also is the rated r superstar um yeah. you know because you look at the the next night on monday night raw what happened the next night on monday night raw do you remember what he did uh was that when he changed the belt he changed the belt but that was also the live sex celebration oh yeah 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 so like this was this was like a different this was like really cementing this different sort of edge and a whole rated R um, superstar being like yeah. legit <laughs> rated R. Yeah. <laughs> For a so TV definitely, uh, definitely, definitely a big moment, uh, not only for money in the bank, but a big moment, uh, in the career of edge. So, no, absolutely. yeah, that's that for me. That's just, I, I think there's a, a lot of history to that. And just, um, as, as far as money in the bank goes and, just just being the first one, I thought, kind of set the tone for how everything was going to go. So, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting, though, because we did really kind of – we were really on a lot of the same wavelength here. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're talking about <laughs> different cash-ins. Um, I mean, even the ones you picked that I didn't, uh, I had still considered them at one point. Like, they were – like, you know, 5.5 and 6 probably on my list by the time it was all said and done. Yeah, I it it took everything in me to wean Kane out, but I mean, as much as I love my my uh my favorite wrestler Kane, as I always will, um, 
it didn't feel as important when he cashed it in as all the other ones. So fortunately, yeah. he had to get the boot. Yeah, I understand. Well, uh, so we've got we've got Money in the Bank tomorrow at uh, three p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is going to be a little weird. A little weird. So, um, yeah, so that should that should be a that should be a fun time. Uh, I don't know who's going to win. I don't necessarily either one way or the other care who's going to win as long as the show is entertaining. As long as the That's matches are good. That's all that matters to me at this point. As, as long as the show entertains me, then I'm happy. Yeah. And the last two shows that they've had have actually been very entertaining and makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I am happy that they are continuing the trend of Saturday pay-per-views. I think that's a great move on their behalf. Uh, I definitely like the Saturday pay-per-views much better. Well, I definitely see there's going to be a more AEW versus WWE thing going forward for sure. Because now that you have um, a Saturday collision on Saturday and then you have AEW previews on Sunday, mm. WWE can't dodge a show. Yeah, they, certainly not. They really can't. So they're going to have to start like legit going head to head without mm-hmm. trying because they're not going to have a choice. <laughs> yeah. Um and I think this is I think this will be where we really start to see some of the difference in um AEW and WWE's model of how they do pay-per-views uh or premium live events as WWE now calls them because yep. you know, AEW is still on that traditional pay-per-view model and I feel like when you know that Collision and a WWE Premium Live event are going to be on the same night, it's a much easier decision to watch the Premium Live event because you can do so with your, you know, Peacock 999 subscription instead of having to dole out 50 bucks for a pay-per-view. Yeah. So, uh I think that's going to be I think that's going to be interesting. Uh I think where we may see some of the numbers, we might start to see some shifts in how AEW sort of views uh, their pay-per-view model. At least I'm hoping. Um, I, you know, uh, Forbidden Door is certainly an exception because I I feel like Forbidden Door is definitely a show that uh, you know if I spend fifty dollars on and then I see a show like that, I am not disappointed in the slightest. However, I can't say that that's going to be the case with every AEW pay-per-view. Um, I think Wembley will be another show. Oh, that will be that, worth it for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that will. Um, but I, I can't say on a regular basis, like an every-month basis, that I could really um, you know, justify putting out that money all the time for, for AEW shows. Um, not, not that there's anything wrong with AEW pay-per-views, but... I I think we're I think that's pricing themselves out of the model now. Well, I I think I said it in an earlier episode that I think they just need to take Honor Club, combine AEW with Honor Club, add all of the back library from AEW to Honor Club with the old ROH stuff as well, and make mm-hmm. that their streaming service. And and you can have the, their PLEs on huh. there for a fee, ten bucks or whatever it is. And you have your own small little streaming hub, and you're finally up to date on the modern way that people watch the events is through a service. Because, again, that sure. model is an older model, like you said, that I think nowadays just doesn't work as well. It's worked for AW for now, yes, but in how, but how many more years can they go doing this before they start getting 
you know, pushed to the back. Yeah, because there's there's almost nobody that runs pay-per-views like that now. Even like most of your top-tier indie companies are either on uh, some sort of service like Fight TV or they're on like, uh, you know, like a, a streaming channel service like IWTV, things like that. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't think they're going to be able to sustain that much longer. Um, but, uh, yeah, so... Uh, Another episode in the books. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, this ten. is our this is our tenth episode. Tenth uh, we've episode. Been, around, been around for ten episodes already. Um, we have had uh, two special guests Lovely so far. Guests. Shout yeah, out to Boy so, and Larry Peace. Yeah, so definitely um, go back and check those episodes out if you haven't heard them yet. Um, we will be scheduling uh, an interview. We will be rescheduling our interview with uh, Kimberly coming up soon. So, of course, uh, keep an eye out on socials for that. Um, and, you know, the, the the Opinion City train keeps rolling. Things are not slowing down in the slightest. And that leads us into um, next week's episode, which uh, now that we've got 10 in the books. Super um, excited about. Yeah. <laughs> Next week is going to be super exciting. Um, so now that we now that we've got ten in the books, it's it's time to go upward and onward. And uh, so we are going to be joined next week by uh, a very good professional wrestler, a very good professional commentator. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We will be talking to the one and only Avery Good, professional wrestler. Formerly uh, known. Seen him- as Dasher Hatfield. Yes, you've you've seen him on the indies, you love him, uh, or you love to hate him, whatever the case may be. <laughs> um he is uh he is he is quite the uh quite the heel these days. Um uh, and so we are we are super, super excited to have him uh join us on Opinion City next week. So uh please make sure that you uh take some time to Check that out. We are very uh, excited to be having him on. And uh, so with that in mind, uh, if you want to find me online, I am at RealRalph316 on all the socials. So you can uh, like me, follow me. Uh, you can twit at me, whatever, whatever you feel like doing. Uh, I love it all. So please uh, find me on socials. Hit me up. And uh, let me know what you think about what we're doing here. Sean, where can people find you? Find me at Parma Cheese on all socials, same as Ralph. Please reach out. I want to hear what you guys think about each episode and your opinions on each topic that we do each week. Um, also, where can they find the podcast, sir? Well, this is some exciting news. This is uh, really exciting. We uh, We have sort of outgrown... Our uh, our home uh, on the Mancast Network socials. So we have uh, we're still a part of the Mancast Network, but we've branched out a little bit. And you can now find Opinion City uh, across the socials at Opinion City Pod. That's Opinion City P O D. And uh, please like, follow, subscribe, um, tell your friends about it. Look us up online. Rate the show. Review the show. 
give us your opinions. Um, you know, we want all the love from the fans because uh, we love you guys. It's been uh, it's been an exciting ten episodes so far. Um, we've had listeners not only uh, across the country but across the world as well. We've had listeners checking in from places such as Ireland and uh, China, apparently, and Canada as well. And just most recently, we've had some uh, folks in the United Kingdom checking in. So Opinion City is making its way across the country and making its way across the world. So uh, we are thankful for every single listener that we've had to this point in our first 10 episodes. And from here, it is just full steam ahead, keeping the train rolling and uh, keep an eye out on our socials. Like I said, we've got uh, Avery Good Professional Wrestler next week and we've got some more guests coming up in the future, so definitely keep an eye out on the socials for those. And uh, with that, I think uh, it's it's time to sign off for this week. So Sean, thanks for a uh, another great episode. Of course. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll talk to you guys again next week. Our new tag team name is the Rocket Strappers. We're the Rocket Strappers, signing off. (laughs) This is Ultimo Man here. You're listening to Opinion City Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Happy trails to you. Till 